Welcome to the Entourage Podcast. My name is Paige Scott, and I'm going to be your host. Entourage Ministries gets its inspiration from Psalm 6811 that says, The Lord gives the command, and a great army of women proclaim the good news. Entourage is a multi-generational, multi-denominational, multicultural women's ministry based in Durant, Oklahoma. Join us today as we dive into truth from the Word so that your heart and spirit may be encouraged. Welcome back. It's good to have you here for session three. If you remember at the end of session two, um, there was an opportunity for you to accept the gospel if you'd never done that before. Also in session two, we spent an extensive amount of time reflecting on Eve and things um, that are realities in our world because of, of her life and her lifetime. As we begin session three, we've created this video separately as I share some remarks with you that are a letter from a woman in the 21st century written to Eve. As you read these truths, I pray that you will also see the gospel revelation and the realities that impact your life today as we walk through her journey from start to finish. This is in your book at the beginning of session three, if you want to look along with me. If not, I hope that you'll listen at this time. Dear Eve, I wish that this letter found you in the Garden of Eden by your favorite stream, your favorite flower, captivated by love from your husband and spending your favorite time of day with the Lord. I wish this letter found you walking among the animals and marveling at the unique design that God has given each. I wish this letter found you in all of the fact that only you and Adam of all the creation you see and enjoy are the ones made in the image of God with his breath in your lungs. I wish you could realize how the angels marvel in your presence as an image bearer of holy God. For although they are heavenly, they are not like you, made in God's image, his prized creation, the apple of his eye. If only this letter found you in such a place, then how foreign the rest of my regards might seem to you. This brings me to the main point here, what I wish you would have known. If only you could go back, you'd certainly change everything. But here we are. There was an angel who wanted to be like God, and he was cast out of heaven with the intention of destroying that which he could not create. You know God so well as your beautiful creator, and this nasty foe of our Lord seeks to destroy because he has no authority to create. That statement in and of itself is powerful, and I wish you would have known it before you engaged with the foe who appeared as a snake. Because he cannot create, he seeks to manipulate, abuse, and ultimately destroy I wish I could have told you that your life is on the foe's radar. Your purpose is too grand. God's love for you is too threatening to the foe. So he keeps his eye on you. He wants to destroy you and any security you feel in your relationship with the Lord. The fellowship you have with God is so special. The enemy knows you are the creator's prized jewel. Unfortunately, you're going to blindly move from being on the enemy's radar to the victim 
on the enemy's dinner plate of death and deceit. He will approach you as something ordinary to your eyes, seemingly safe and capable of no harm. He will engage you and you will respond. And in your response, the course of your life and all life will change. The Lord will allow you to have this conversation and to decide for yourself what choice you will make regarding the opportunity a serpent will present to you. The snake directs your attention toward the tree. You know, the tree that God instructed you not to eat from. The one you see daily but don't eat from. You normally don't even touch the tree. Like all creation, it's a lovely tree, but you have no need of it because God has supplied all of your needs. But the enemy will turn your attention toward it. You remember that God told you not to eat from it at first. And then the enemy asks you a series of questions that are actually like seeds planting themselves in your soul. Did God really say that? Surely that won't happen to you. God just doesn't want you to know what he knows. You'll ponder the crafty remarks and quickly those seeds will root You'll be mesmerized by the possibility suggested to you, and you'll consider that maybe it would be beneficial, maybe it would taste good, and perhaps it would make you smarter than God has made you. Then, in an instant, the root sends upward its first harvest. You'll eat the fruit and exchange your security and peace, your perfection and your presence among the living God. Your exchange will be an immediate and weed-filled harvest of guilt, blame, shame, and an unsatisfied desire to control, condemnation, and ultimately, death will come forth. Your flesh eyes open and your spiritual eyes close. Your initial response will be something new to you. You'll think, what is this blaming coming from my mouth? What are these thoughts toward my husband? Why am I hiding from God when I know he means me no harm? Your thoughts quickly become actions in the new reality of your life. And suddenly, Eden will be no more. The Lord finds you and Adam both hiding and living in shame. You are incapable of even answering the Lord honestly when he asks you what happened. In that moment, you realize that not only Did you exchange truth for a lie when you ate the fruit? But now you struggle to even bring truth to your lips in the presence of God Almighty. In 2020, we might say about this, the struggle is real. But we would also say, that's the understatement of the year. But God, in his goodness, he covers you anyway to help with your shame. You'll be displaced from the garden because you can no longer dwell in the place that is holy with the one who is holy. All part of the exchange and the new harvest in your life. The plants, animals, and beauty you tended to will also now work against you. And your relationship with your husband will be full of strife. You will miss the presence of the Lord in your midst. Oh, to take it all back, I know that you would. I know that Adam would also in an instant to see the serpent for what he was. Stop the seeds of doubt, lust, pride, greed, and insecurity from ever being planted. 
from taking root, from taking over. To seek God in the moment that the serpent was crafting his word, you could have just called out to God so simply and how different all of this would have been for you, for me, for all of us today. You go on to have a baby, every woman's dream, and God's gracious fulfillment of your design. You'll have another as well, and lo and behold, that bad seed that was planted in you takes root in your sons, and straight out of those roots of insecurity, death occurs. You lose one son to death, and the other is sent away to scatter those bad seeds across the earth and to reproduce that which you and Adam brought into the world, sin. Your beautiful purpose to be a carrier of life now turned on its head. You are physically bringing life into the world, but the precious souls are being born spiritually dead. It gets much worse before it gets better. So much death, so much bondage, so much slavery, so much jealousy, so much adultery, so much of exchanging truth for lies, so much pain, so many tears, so much anxiety to this day, even as I write you this letter. And where was God during all of this? How you must have missed him. His peace that you didn't even know was something to be desired seems impossible to find. And I'm sorry to tell you that seeking peace in life will be something that most women strive for because they will know its absence more than its presence. This too is a consequence. Apart from fellowship with God, there is no everlasting peace because he is peace, the irony of it all. We try in our own strength to help ourselves and others, yet independent from God, all attempts in the same way that yours did that day, minus the naked in the bushes part. Goodness, how I wish you could go back. I wish I could tell you the serpent goes away, but he still lurks, making himself seem harmless until the second those seeds root, and we find ourselves harvesting a crop we do not recognize. Oh, and another thing, do you realize that when God drove you out of the garden, it was actually to protect you? I'm sure it didn't feel that way when the stupid serpent manipulated you to bring his death into the world, but God's holy battle plan of restoration began. The other tree, the tree of life, could have put you into an eternal state of sin forever, but God planned otherwise. While death would now exist, God knew he could defeat it and how he would do it. But the solution, our Savior, won't come in your lifetime, Eve. During the wait for Savior, we see the enemy multiplying those same bad seeds over and over again, accomplishing much evil in the lives of God's creation. But again, he is no creator. Remember this, only in your acceptance of hidden lies were seeds planted, rooted, and harvested. There is not life in the enemy, yet he uses our capacity to produce and multiply for his destructive use, manipulating God's divine gifts for his purpose, destruction, destruction of life, destruction of our fellowship with God, this is his aim. For some time, God will give us laws to protect us, 
from the horrible consequences we keep reaping upon ourselves through the sinful nature that you've passed on. But even in that, the harvest of those long ago seeds will root up. We will try to earn our way back to the presence, but we can't. The world stays weary for his peace and his presence, and I'm sure you can imagine the feeling. In the end, God outsmarts that stupid snake and sows holy seed into a woman named Mary. She is one who is obedient to God in awe of him and not unlike you, Eve, as God's beloved daughter. And for the first time, someone enters the world untampered by the yucky seeds you fell victim to. His name is Jesus, and he will be called Emmanuel, which means God with us. He will enter the world and lie in a humble manger, less accommodated than the animals of the garden you once cared for during their birth. But the same beautiful creator, humble and ready to save. After 33 years of sowing new seeds, people start to recognize truth again. Not everyone, but a few. Those who are blinded and still living in a lie will take this perfect Savior Jesus and they will nail him to a tree, that tree seemingly making its way back into the picture again. But this time, when he dies the death that stupid snake brought into the world, he will come back from death as new life. And in that instance, the instance, like the instance you ate the death fruit, he takes those rotten seeds and brings them to new life. This is the promise for all who believe. He returns to heaven where we will eventually be with him forever. But just as God breathed the breath of life into your nostrils, he breathes the breath of life into those who recognize his truth today. The breath of his Holy Spirit allows him to walk with us so that we can experience the presence in a similar way that you did. There's still a war between truth and lie and death and life, but God prevails. Even in your story, Eve, you went on to be the mother of all life. You passed on some bad stuff, there's no doubt about it, but God redeems it. So even though the war rages on, for those of us who see We have help in the overcomer to recognize the attacks and defend ourselves. In the same way God clothed you, he gives us his very own armor and a robe of dignity and righteousness. Regardless of where you would be in finding this hypothetical letter, Eve, I want to assure you that God makes all things new. His perfect love casts out all fear, and even when you make choices that feel like death, or someone else makes choices that impact your life and they feel like death, there's always new hope in him. He makes it all right, regardless of how we mess up. Regardless of how many times we fall for the same deceitful trick, we have a Savior, and he is fixing it all. He has forgiven us, and his love is as pure as you knew it to be in the garden. Also, Eve, I forgive you. This is only because of Jesus, though. Even though guilt and shame came to the world through your choice, Jesus lets us exchange those fruits for his choice fruits, for his spirit fruits, fruits like love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. 
I can only forgive you, Eve, because of the fruit exchange in my life through Jesus. If ever faced with the opportunity, I hope that you would forgive yourself. You are more than the choice you made. I am more than the choice you made. You are more than the attack that unfolded in your life. And I am more than the attack that unfolded in your life. We are both beautifully and wonderfully made by the hands of a loving God. Finally, I want you to know that it wasn't due to the weakness of your purpose and design that the enemy attacked you, but because of the strength of your purpose and your design. Never forget this. It wasn't due to the weakness of your purpose and design that the enemy attacked you. It was because of the strength of your purpose and design. God made you as strong as he needed you to be. And he made you enough to do all that he called you to do. You are more because he is more. In the love of Jesus, a young woman saved by grace. Romans 5, verse 12 and verse 17. Just as sin entered the world through one man and death through sin, and in this way death came to all people. For if by the trespass of the one man death reigned through that one man, how much more will those who receive God's abundant provision of grace and the gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man Jesus Christ. Let's continue on to session three, ladies. get to session three in your book I want to encourage you that hopefully at this point you've already watched two videos that are associated with session three one of those videos being the letter to Eve which expounded on where we were in session two in a, a different creative expression and more importantly even than that the testimony panel video as I shared um, at the intro and onset of that video the testimony panel video is powerful. There's, there's nothing quite like the blood of Jesus um, that, that brings forth good words and good testimony from, from people, from his children, that stirs that overcoming spirit within us. And I, I shared that verse attribution from Revelation that we overcome by the blood of the Lamb and the word of our testimony. And so I hope that in looking at Eve's life, You've, you've seen a, a facet of your own. I hope that as you've listened to my five dear and very real friends share with you, that you've been able to relate with things that they've shared and that you are starting to feel, as we go through this together, a place of um, safety, a place of security, where you can have some of the vulnerable conversations with the Lord that those ladies so thoughtfully um, and so lovingly shared yesterday. So as we transition into session three in your book, um, we are really wrapping up 
the the conversation or the question about the what. So we had uh, a couple of scenes that, that kind of outlined the creation narrative in in the previous session, and now we're we're shifting from the what to the why. So when I say the what, the what we are talking about, we are talking about anxiety. Again, you know that we refer to this as a fruit. That is the what, and uh, and we have implied that it is our belief that that fruit manifests from a root. So that root is the why. So the what is anxiety. That's the fruit. The root is the why. And quite simply, and my mom will get into more into the why of your life in, in part two of this session, but there are four sources of anxiety that we see most often that we would attribute to be, be the why. Certainly they're not an end-all, be-all. You'll see those soon in this session as you're, as you're looking through the pages. But before we, we transition there, I want to give us an example of two more women that we can learn from and look at before we dive in with the Holy Spirit into your life and your why. So not unlike Eve um, in, in what happened with her desire to control and what happened with her heart being the first heart that went from a place of security to being a heart that was on the run outside the parameters of safety and security um, in God's love, in God's presence. We see that very quickly that seed of hers reproduced and spread. And by Genesis 12, we meet a man named Abram, uh, who is also Abraham. You may know him as either, and I may refer to him interchangeably. Actually, to keep things simple, I'll probably just call him Abraham, but formerly Abram when we first meet him in Genesis 12. And I'm just going to paraphrase most of Abraham's story because it's quite extensive throughout Genesis. Eventually, I'm going to read in Genesis 13, um, excuse me, Genesis 16, but Abraham is married to a woman named Sarai, who I'm going to refer to as Sarah when I talk to you about her. And so we're going to see some things from Eve's life pop up in this woman's life. And I, I'm sharing her story and the story of a woman that she's also going to impact. And I'm sharing it under the premise of asking, why is our heart on the, why, why are our hearts on the run? Why is your heart on the run? Because again, we're shifting into the why. I told you the first three sessions, we were kind of going below the surface. We're, we're stopping at the root level here to do an examination. So Genesis chapter 12, the Lord initiates a conversation and then a covenant with this man, Abraham. And he says, Abraham, out of you, I want to, to bless nations. I want to, to bring offspring out of you that is so abundant, so beyond what you can imagine. Um, in, in you, everyone will be blessed. Some of that's in Genesis 12. Some of that's later on. Um, if, if you did read Genesis 1 to 3, and I beg of you that, that you did that, you'll know that that after Eve and Adam were found in their hiding place in the garden and that, that God goes and he confronts and he deals with the enemy um, first. That is his first 
order of, of business. And he tells the enemy, and when I say the enemy, I mean the accuser, the snake, the serpent, the adversary, the foe, all the, all the same guy. Uh, that's what I'm talking about. He tells the enemy, he says, her seed, referring referring to Eve, referring to mankind, she's going to produce a seed that is going to be fatal to you. It is going to crush your head. Now, we know that that's a prophecy about Jesus Christ. So, to fast forward to Genesis 12, we see God began to initiate this conversation, this covenant with this guy named Abraham. And God, in his redemptive battle plan, is saying, that seed that I prophesied about in Genesis 3, that seed being Jesus Christ, our Savior today, he's going to come out of the lineage of this guy named Abraham. But here's the thing. Abraham was really old, and he and his wife, uh, his wife specifically, she was barren, Sarai or Sarah. It says this, that she had no children. The, f- the first time that her name is mentioned, we know that she has no children. And so God picks a man that has no margin space whatsoever on his end to make this miraculous promise of God come through. He picks an impossible person, persons, an impossible situation, and there he says, Let's have a conversation. Let's do a covenant. I'm going to be in charge if you'll just yield to me. I want to say about that that God works miraculously when we are out of margins. When our only margin space is for him to show up and to fulfill his end of the covenant, and that is all that we have created space for, that's when we're going to see the best results. So if you feel like that's you today, like I'm out of margins, I'm out of backup plans, I have no strength in my own, I feel barren in terms of producing any kind of fruit that would feel anything like peace, you're in the right place because God looks for a people that are rested in him and surrendered to him where he is exclusively their margin for the miracle to come through. So fast forward back to the story of of Abraham. He has this wife, Sarah, and Sarah, not unlike Eve, had a little bit of a desire to control the situation. What I find ironic about Sarah is that she actually believed so much in God's promise for her husband that she decided instead of waiting for God to do a miracle in her life, she would suggest that he sleep with her maidservant, Hagar. This is in the Bible. The Old Testament has some crazy soap opera-like stuff, and this is one of those stories. So all of us today, even in carnal wisdom, can think, this is not going to go well. She is suggesting that her wife begin a sexual, I mean, that her husband begin a sexual relationship with someone else in their household, and it's not going to be good. So my question to Sarah would be, why did she believe in the ability of God to work a miracle in someone else's life, her husband's, but she didn't believe in the ability of God to show up in her own life? And I think there's a lot, a lot to her why. If you read the whole story, there was a lot of deceit involved um, where Abraham was, was her covering and he'd led and he'd put her in harmful situations. And maybe looking back on those, she thought, I didn't feel like anyone, I don't feel like anyone showed up for me there. So maybe God's not going to show up for me here. I don't know. I'm just uh, alleging and, and implying as you read, as you read more about her story. But the bottom line is that Sarah wants to see the promise of God come to fruition. She believes it's able to come to fruition, but she's going to take the reins into her control and make it happen. So as you're probably suspecting at this point, Hagar, the innocent bystanding maidservant, becomes pregnant with Abraham's child. 
But God lets Abraham know, nope, this isn't the child of promise because you did this in your margins. You did this in your ability, in your timing, in your plan. And this is not the child. This is not the seed that I'm going to bring forth. So this baby is born to, to Hagar and and during the process of her pregnancy, Sarah becomes very cruel in her interactions toward Hagar. And, and Hagar is so desperate in the situation that she's in that she makes a run away from her household into the desert to leave the situation. So we've got Sarah whose heart is on the run because she doesn't believe that the promises of God are for her life. She believes they're only for her husband's life. And now because her heart, Sarah's heart, is so unrested and so on the run, she has dealt cruelly with this woman named Hagar and has literally sent Hagar in physical flight into the desert. And so in Genesis 16, I'm going to read to you about Hagar as she, is, as she has a heart on the run, feet on the run, body on the run because of, of the way that she's been dealt with. Um, Genesis 16, verse 1. Now, now Sarai, who I'm calling Sarah, Abram's wife, had borne him no children. And she had an Egyptian servant whose name was Hagar. And, and I'm going to skip ahead a few verses, but this is where she lays out her plot to make God's promise come to, come to fruition. When God initiates a promise, he's always faithful to deliver it. He never asks us to orchestrate outside of just believing and surrendering. So um, in verse 5 of, of, of Genesis 16, it says, Sarah said to Abraham, May wrong be done to you. This is after Hagar gets pregnant. May wrong be done to you. I gave my servant to your embrace. And when she saw that she was pregnant, she looked on me with content. May the Lord judge, may the Lord judge between you and me. Thank you, Lord, that you don't always give us the things that we ask for in judgment on ourselves and others. Verse 6, but Abram said to Sarah, Behold, your servant, Hagar, is in your power. Do to her as you please. Then Sarai dealt harshly with her, and she fled. Verse 7, the angel of the Lord. And when we see the angel of the Lord, a lot of times we can assume that that is a manifestation of Jesus. Unless that angel of the Lord is named, uh, such as Gabriel or Michael, a lot of times in the Old Testament when we see angel of the Lord, um, we can picture that it's like a, it's pre-incarnate Jesus coming uh, as a messenger, as a moment um, of salvation throughout, throughout the Old Testament. So the angel of the Lord found her by a spring of water in the wilderness, and the spring was on the way to Shur. And he said, Hagar, servant of Sarah, where have you come from, and where are you going? Where have you come from, and where are you going? That, that's what the Lord is asking you today. If you'll remember, the Lord asked Eve, Eve, why are you hiding? God is all-knowing. When he asks questions, the benefit is for us, not for him. He already knows the answers. But he cares so much that he wants to hear what the hurts of our heart are so that he can make them right. There's a lot of passages of Scripture that testify to that caring attribute of God. But I want you to just think about this woman 
who was not even part of the promise, part of the conversation or the covenant that God had initiated in this situation, yet she's been dealt with harshly. She's on the run. And the angel of the Lord says, where have you come from and where are you going? And she said, Hagar said, I'm fleeing from my mistress, Sarah. The angel of the Lord said to her, return and submit to her. The angel of the Lord said, I will also multiply your offspring so that they cannot be numbered for multitude. And the angel of the Lord said to her, you're pregnant. You shall have a son and call his name Ishmael. And he goes on to say some other things about Ishmael. But in verse 13 of chapter 16 of Genesis, Hagar says, I'm going to call the name of the Lord who has spoken to me. You are a God of seeing. I believe that's Elroy. Or you are as a God who sees me. The thing is, God sees everything, but sometimes we walk in a limited revelation of knowing that God does see us. But the moment that we feel seen by God, the moment that we know that we are seen by God, that's when that security and that safety begins to ensue so that we can walk through the things he wants to walk through redemptively with us. She continued in the same verse, you are the God of seeing, you're the God who sees me, and truly here I have been seen by him who looks after me. That's true of you. God is so good that I don't want to end this conversation without saying that God still blessed Sarah with a son. God still fulfilled his word to Sarah and Abraham to deliver the seed, this promise, this covenant through them. And actually they name, they name the son Isaac, which means God has brought me laughter. So even from places where there's, in her case, a defiant despair, a defiant rebellion, um, a situation that has spiraled out of control because of, of unbelief, again, that was probably rooted in the why of those who didn't show up for her in situations prior in the story. God was faithful to his word. God was faithful to his promise. But we see from that passage that often if we leave our hearts on the run and unchecked, if we don't take those moments to answer why, why is my heart running why am I not dwelling in security? That the result will be that we will actually send others out of a mode of arrested heart into a heart on the run. And I love yesterday that Olivia, uh, that was on the panel, shared as she was talking about visiting painful things or walking through painful things with the Lord. One of her quotes was, you may not want to do it because it seems like it's going to cost you something to have the conversation with the Lord right now. But the real question is, what's it going to cost you if you don't have the conversation with the Lord? And so we see a fruit of this in these, these ladies' lives. So before my mom comes up to go over a few questionnaires with you, and we transition into the why, the four options that we are going to give um, for you to consider the why of your anxiety are one, I learned anxious tendencies from an influence in my life. We'll call that generational anxiety. Two, I experienced a trauma that wounded me in a way that is unresolved. Three, I did not feel safe or secure in my childhood 
upbringing and earliest formative relationships. Or four, I am anxious specifically because of the impact of a death diagnosis or divorce. I want to introduce you to something that we call phase phrases. This will be a soft place of transition before we look more specifically at those four sources of why that I just explained. And, um, and, and again, if you're thinking, why is it necessary to go over the why? Why do we have to do this? I believe what you're saying. I believe that there's a promise of peace. Um, we're actually we're instructed to do it in the word and we know that if the Lord's put it in the word it's for our life and it's for our, our benefit. Hebrews 12, 12 through 15 says, therefore strengthen your feeble arms and your weak knees. Make level paths for your feet so that the lame may not be disabled but rather healed. Make every effort to live in peace with everyone and be holy. Without holiness no one will see the Lord. See to it that no one falls short of the grace of God and that no bitter root begins to grow up and cause you trouble. So I want to encourage you that as you continue to plunge forward with us in the next few minutes, the next few sessions, by participating, you are posturing yourself to receive the grace of God. So don't fret, don't dread the pages ahead because grace waits for you there as you walk through questions with the Lord. So again, back to this cushion of these phase phrases. We just want you to think about, and this is a good discipline to use beyond this session, think about the operating system of your life. Operating system, you may say, what is that? Well, if you have a computer at home, is it, is it a Mac? Is it, is it a Windows? Or if you have a, a phone, is it a Droid? Um, is it an Apple product? Um, the things that, that we use most often technology-wise, they filter through something that we call operating systems. And in life, we have operating systems as well. Sometimes those operating systems are phrases, and we're going to talk more about how to renew and correct those phrases. But right now, I just want to present a couple to you for your consideration. The five phase phrases that we want to introduce to you are these. One, am I able to do this? Does your life operate from an operating system that says, am I able to do this? If you were constantly questioning your ability every time you looked at a situation, then this is probably the operating system of your life. I would say for Sarah, or Sarai that we just read about, that's where she was. Am I able to do this? And in part, she thought, nope, I'm not able to do this. I'm not able to wait on the promise of God. I am able to orchestrate something that looks like the promise of God. And this is kind of the place that she operated from. I will say when we get to the end of these, there's one that we want to be the goal, uh, we w the phase phrase that we want to guide us in as we, as we walk through the end of this chapter. But the second phase phrase is, I am able to do this. I would say when I'm operating optimally in my flesh nature, which is not good, um, that this is where I would fall. I am able to do this. Don't stop me. You're not going to hurt me. You're not going to break me. I'm going to do it, and then I'm going to turn around to make sure that you're applauding for me after I do it. It's not a healthy phase phrase. It may come across as confident, but when you are wholly focused, holy, W-H-O-L-O-Y, when you're wholly focused on your own ability to do something, 
you may find that it is actually very toxic as an operating system in your life. Um, The third one is no one is able to do this. Back to the story we just read about in Genesis. I think think that's probably where Hagar found herself in the desert. No one's able to get me out of this situation, so I'm just going to run into the brutal desert than to stay with the possibility or remain with the possibility that someone actually may show up and care for me, be kind to me, get me through this situation that I am in. So again, the three that I've introduced you to so far is, am I able to do this? I am able to do this. No one is able to do this. And the fourth one is, is God able to do this? And I think a lot of times we get stuck right here. And we get stuck right here in deceit because we think if we are acknowledging that God is able to do something, then we are at least considering the Lord. And that's got to be better than nothing. But I would say that considering the Lord without trusting in the Lord actually is what the word would describe as as being double-minded or as being one who's tossed about at sea. And so I want to confront with this language, is God able to do this? Does that feel like you in your heart? Does that feel like where you are? Like you know that, that, that you need God to come through, but there's no certainty that he will. That's not a phase phrase or an operating system that we want to remain within. Where we ultimately want to go and where we want to acknowledge that God is, is this fifth phase phrase. And it's that God is able to do this. It is shifting all of our energy, all of our focus off of ourselves, off of others, and solely putting that place of margin up on God and his ability to show up and to act on our behalf. And so think back to the story I read you in Genesis when, when things begin to spiral out of control, when Sarah was assessing her inability, when she was assessing the abilities of others around her, but she was not, she was not putting any weight on God's ability to show up. When we have not made this our exclusive margin There's going to be a margin of deceit, and there's going to be a margin of hurt that's always going to come back because it's going to be be outside of what the Lord's trying to do. All the time in Scripture, there are countless examples where God asks people to do really hard things. And when I say that, I don't mean that he puts the burden of the heart on them. I mean that he asks them to partner with him as he does an impossible thing. And oftentimes you will hear the response, my God is able. And after they can get into that place, then it doesn't matter what's on the other side of it because they've already decided God is their margin, God is their strength, God is their shield, God is their defender. And no matter what the rest of the day looks like, no matter what. Thanks for joining us today. For more information about Entourage Ministries, visit our website at entourageministries.com or visit us on Facebook or Instagram. 